0: scripture reading for this morning. is going to be out of Daniel chapter 10. You can find that on page 888 on the Black Pew Bible. There should be one on the pew back in front of you. You'll turn there. Again, that's Daniel chapter 10, page 888. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from upaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my word speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince.
1: Church, Daniel chapter ten. Turn there in your Bible, Black pew Bible, page eight eighty eight, and um, we're going to look at Daniel chapter ten. We we are we do what's called expository preaching, um, and we just teach through the Bible through books. Occasionally, we'll deter and do something different, but by and large, we just we go through books, of the Bible, and. A lot of people when they teach through Daniel chapter uh, D- Daniel they'll, they'll teach through the first six chapters and get to the vision part the apocalyptic part of the book and they they'll divert and do something different but um, we're just walking through this and uh, it's been uh, it's difficult text to navigate through but hopefully we're learning a little bit about how to study uh, apocalyptic literature and and um, trying to understand the, the main point and how we can apply it to our lives I, I know it's been a little bit difficult. Several of you said, when are we are going to get to an epistle? Uh, it'll be soon, in about two weeks. Um, but Daniel, he's, he's already had three visions from the Lord. Chapter 7, you remember the first year of uh, Belshazzar? He had a vision of the four beasts that represented the four kingdoms that would come. Babylon, right? The Babylonian kingdom that they were uh, being oppressed by. The Persians that would come after them, uh, they would be overthrown by the Greeks and then the Roman Empire. And then, chapter 8, Daniel has another vision of two middle kingdoms. Remember the, the ram and the goat, the Persian Empire, and then the Greek Empire. And then, chapter 9, the third vision, the third vision of the 70 weeks. And so, we're in chapter 10, chapters 10 through 12. Tell us about another vision, the fourth vision. We want to actually get into the vision today. We'll start in chapter 11 uh, next week, but this is an introduction to that vision. Chapter 10, verse 1, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict. Now, conflict means what? It means war and pain and strife and struggle. And all of it had to do with Daniel's People. Look at verse 14. The angel speaking to Daniel and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So this conflict we'll see in the vision of chapter 11 and 12, but it's concerning Judah, Daniel's people. And during this time when Daniel receives this vision, about 50,000 of those exiles had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple, but Daniel stays back. He's in his 80s, late 80s, maybe even 90 at this point, so he stays back. The third year of the reign of Cyrus would have been the year 535-534 BC. It's just a few years before Daniel dies. This places the vision about two years after the first group of exiles returned to Jerusalem. So two years in, Daniel's getting this vision. The exiles are back in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the the city. They're rebuilding uh, the temple. What they had done by this point, they had cleared the temple area. They had resumed daily sacrifices. They had laid a foundation for the temple. But then the work stopped. And that work had stopped, was stopped for about 15 years until God sent Haggai, the minor prophet, to Jerusalem to instruct the remnant to resume the work, and which they did. But by this time, 535, 534, Daniel may have heard of that, that cessation of the work. And so he's grieved and he's mourning. And you'd think by this time in his late 80s, maybe even 90, you'd think uh, Daniel would have retired from being a prophet. They had a pretty good pension plan. He could have just retired, uh, built him a little river shack on the side of the Tigris and cashed in his 401K and lived out them last few years uh, living high on a hog, right? But Daniel uh, doesn't do that. He continues to seek the Lord on behalf of Judah, on behalf of his people. And the chapter begins by saying that the message Daniel received concerned this great conflict. We'll see it in chapter 11. There's going to be an earthly conflict, but there's also a war going on in the heavenlies. So our first point today is when the invisible becomes visible, fear and humility is always the response. And look at the, the text there in chapter 10. Daniel has been mourning for three weeks, right, 21 days. And during this time, during that exact time period, those in Jerusalem, if they're being faithful to the Lord, they're celebrating the Passover. We remember in chapter 6, Daniel prays. Remember where that got him? He's praying regularly, and he got thrown into the lion's den because of it, right? But here, he's seeking the Lord's face during this feast time. And it says in verse 3 that he's abstained from some delicacies, meat and wine. Now, we know from chapter 1 that for a time he had what's called the Daniel diet, right? Uh, he was a ve- had a vegan diet with just water to drink. But he un- undoubtedly, he didn't continue that the rest of his life. But he... he um, He was abstaining. He was on a fast, seeking the Lord. And it also says he didn't anoint himself, which means he didn't use the perfumed oils that uh, he normally used. And I want to tell you a little bit about that. We're we're not really familiar with that so much. But when we were uh, overseas, we would have to go uh, every now and again to a a doctor, to to, uh, hospitals to get some checkups done for our kids and some for ourselves. And we're at a a hospital in Bangkok, Thailand, a Bamingrad Hospital, and it's an incredible hospital wonderful facility that's where claire beth was born they have uh great doctors they're all western trained doctors either they trained here in the states or in the uk or in australia and it's it's really cheap really cheap medical here so much so that people from all over the world come there and so when we're there um, um you see people from all over the world they're all dressed different and what's interesting about those from the middle east is you know us in america we we're clean people. In fact, we, we, we shower more than most people in the world. Now, I'm not speaking for everybody, okay? All right, Bryce? Troy, I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm just saying as a whole, you know, our culture, we, we're clean people. We shower every day. Some people take two showers a day, right? They don't necessarily do that in other parts of the world. Most of the world doesn't do that. And a lot of these folks from the Middle East, they'll be in their, their burkas and their garb, Right? And they don't wear deodorant. In fact, for ten years, I didn't wear a deodorant. I didn't have any deodorant. I didn't buy it. You couldn't buy it, right? I just didn't wear it. Hey, Chase, I didn't stink one time in ten years. It's amazing what the Lord does for us, isn't it? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, they didn't have a deodorant. I didn't wear a deodorant, right? People just don't do that. But what they do do uh, in, in, in um, substitution for that is they use body sprays and perfumes. And so we would get into the we'd get into an elevator with some of these folks. And it was like you couldn't breathe. like all you could, It was like the, the, the body uh, sprays and the perfumes were so strong. It's like it would take your breath, right? So what Daniel's saying is, hey, I didn't use any of that stuff. I'm in a time of mourning. I'm not eating good food. I'm not drinking wine. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting on my anointed oils. I'm seeking the Lord. So that's what he's doing during this time. And he's on the riverbank, and he saw an angel. Look at verse, verse 5 and 6. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. All these jewels, precious metals. Why do they use all this? Well, they didn't have neon lights back then. Okay, He's trying to come up with something beautiful. That, hey, this is, he's describing what this man looked like, and it looked amazing, something like he had never seen before. We don't know his name. Some say it's Gabriel that we see in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Some say it's a theophany, right? Theophany is the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, some say, well, it's a Christophany, which would be the appearance of Jesus after his ascension, like Saul on the road to Damascus. Remember, Jesus appeared to him. That would be a Christophany. Um, we don't know. I think verse thirteen tells us that Michael, the archangel, had to come and help this angel do battle. So I don't think this is a Christophany or a Theophany. I think it was just an angel. That's my conclusion. This is an unnamed angel that appears to Daniel. But it's interesting that his companions uh, they ran in fear. Right? It's kind of like Saul on the road to Damascus. Do you remember the Lord spoke? He saw the blind and light, and his companions saw his companions. They heard the the voice, but they didn't see it. And so that's what kind of happens here with Daniel. His companions, they, they fled. They were trembling, and they fled to hide themselves, verse 7 says. So he says, I was alone, and I saw this great vision. Reminds me of John John did see the Lord in Revelation chapter 1, right, verse 17. John had this vision, if you remember, in Revelation. He says, When I saw him, speaking of Christ, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. That was a, um, a Christophany, right? He saw the Lord. Daniel's response here is, is like Ezekiel's response. Ezekiel in chapter 1, verse 28, says he also fell on his face. And like Isaiah's response in Isaiah chapter 6, remember Isaiah's vision? Who am I going to send? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so Daniel responds like we see all these other biblical characters Characters responding when they see the Lord or when they see an angel of the Lord. They're humbled. They're fearful. They're bowing down on their face. Think about Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. He was cast lots and he was chosen to go in and burn incense. And Zechariah, when he saw the angel, he was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. And what I've done in my Bible in chapter 10 is every time, every response Daniel has, I've underlined it in my Bible. In verse 7, he, after he's seen the angel, a great trembling fell upon them, and, the, and then his friends hid themselves. Verse 8 said, There was no strength left in him. I retained no strength. In verse 9, I fell on my face in a deep sleep. He passed smooth out. It was so overwhelming. Verse 10. How did Daniel respond? He was trembling on his hands and knees. Again, verse 11, he stood up trembling. Verse 12, the angel says his fear not, so he was fearful. Verse 15, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. I could not speak. Again, verse 16, I have no strength. Verse 17, for now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. He was he passed out, and he has no strength, and he's breathless because of this heavenly creature. Daniel was already humble, but after seeing this messenger from God, he's even more so. Isn't it interesting when you hear people, they have these experiences with God They see God, or they see an angel, or they hear from the Lord, they want to talk about their experience, you know, and promote it, and make themselves like something of importance. If you really see the Lord, what do you do? You're going to reverently humble yourself before the Lord when the Invisible becomes visible. Fear and humility is a response. And that's Daniel's response after seeing the angel. The second thing we learn from our text is that conflicts on earth parallel the conflicts in the heavenly realm. God is responding to Daniel's prayer. Look at verse 12. The angel said to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before the Lord, your words have been heard. Remember, for three weeks he's been praying, seek the Lord, fasting, not putting on. The anointing perfumes, but he's seeking the Lord, really wanting to for the Lord to respond. And I have come. The angel says, "I have come because of your words." What's happening is is Daniel is being able to see a glimpse of what's going on in the heavenlies. He's opened up the curtain. God has opened up the curtain for him to see. Hey, there's some other. There's another reality, and there's something. Incredible going on that we can't see, but he allows Daniel to see it. Look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. Who is this prince of Persia? Automatically you would think, well, is that Cyrus? No, of course not, right? Because Cyrus, what did Cyrus do? Cyrus allowed the Jews to return. He issued a decree, Second Chronicles 36, 22, and 23. Remember that from last week? Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Remember, Jeremiah said they would be in exile 70 years. The 70 years is about up. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so they made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. What did he write? The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all the people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So it's this prince of Persia. It's not Cyrus because Cyrus wouldn't be impeding the Lord. No, Cyrus had given the decree. So who is this prince of Persia? I think it's a a demonic prince, a demonic figure. God had heard Daniel's prayer. He'd sent out an angel to do spiritual battle in response. And he was to give a a, a vision, help Daniel understand a vision. And then this angel is detained. He's deterred by this demonic prince of Persia. Now, there seems to be like this entire hierarchy of authority among angels and demons. According to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, there are rulers and there are authorities in the heavenly places. In fact, we see this in the New Testament. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, Colossians 1, 16, Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus created these heavenly beings, Right? We know the devil was a, one of these beings who failed. He rebelled against the Lord, right? He was cast out of heaven. In fact, John three times gives the devil this title, ruler of the world. In John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, verse 11, Jesus calls the devil, Satan, the ruler of the world. Paul calls him in Ephesians 2, 2, the prince of the power of the air. So you got this ruler and prince, they're different English words, but actually in the original language they're the same word, right, And all four of those verses. Created beings, angels and demons. Now we didn't do some deductive reasoning, if Satan is the prince of the entire world and the power of the air, then it stands to reason that the prince of Persia is a demonic figure, right, that had a... Authority over part of the world, maybe the nation of Persia, we're not sure. But we see a glimpse of this heavenly battle. We see it in other parts of the, of the Bible. Job chapter 1, remember the story of Job? Job 1, eight. the devil and his angels appear before the throne of God, and God questions Satan about his righteous servant, Job. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Another snapshot of the spiritual battle that's going on in the heavenlies, 1 Kings chapter 22. Great stories in the Bible. Ahab, he's a wicked king of Israel. He asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, this is after the kingdom had split, to help him in a battle against another nation. Jehoshaphat said, yeah, I'd love to go. Let's hear from a prophet first. Make sure this is the right thing. Jehoshaphat had a little more sense than Ahaz. So a prophet, Micaiah, was called. All the false prophets were telling Ahab to attack. And the host of heaven, they're standing around the throne room of God, and they're suggesting how Ahab might be lured into attacking and meeting his death. There were a number of suggestions, but finally one spirit said in verse 21 through 23, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, you are to entice them and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster, For you, That's what Micaiah said to Ahab. All these guys out here that you listen to, they're all lying. And God put that spirit in them. And you're going to meet your death, and he did. Isn't that interesting? A little snapshot of what's going on in the heavenlies. We don't know exactly what the warfare looks like, but we know that there is conflict, right, between good and evil, angels and demons in the spiritual realm. They're happening all around us, and we just don't know it. There's another um, story that uh, teaches us a little bit about spiritual warfare, Second Kings uh, chapter six. If you have little boys, you have sons, you need to you ought to read this with your with your boys tonight. It's a great, it's awesome. Uh, The king of Aram was frustrated because he's trying to attack God's people, Israel, but every time he goes to to attack them, they already know his plan, and so he's getting really frustrated. And he finds out, well, it's because of Elijah. Elijah is telling Israel what's going to happen because God was telling him before the battle would begin. And so he's really frustrated. And so what he did, he sent down his army to encircle the city that, where Elisha was, Dothan. He surrounded the city at night in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. You ought to read the, the whole story. It's, it's quite hilarious. When the servant of the man of God, the servant was Elisha's servant, the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. This is the king of Aram's army. And, of course, he's nervous. He says, My master, what shall we do? Elisha says, "Oh, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, "O oh Lord, please open his eyes, his eyes being the servant. His servant couldn't see what Elisha could see. The king of Aram surrounding the city, getting ready to attack the city. And everybody's all frightened except Elisha because Elisha could see what they couldn't. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So you have this this battle fixing to take place. But all around the king of Aram's army, all behind them, encircled them. Not only do they have chariots and not only do they they have horses, their chariots are on fire. Yeah, God letting people see just a little glimpse of what's going on in the heavenlies there is a spiritual war being waged all around us that we can't see we don't understand it completely but we see little snapshots of it in scripture and we're not one going around blaming everything on the devil or demons right but we know it's it's real we see it here in scripture in revelation chapter 12 one of a, uh, a great scene that has bearing on our text today, and a battle is described involving the same archangel Michael that we see in our text. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon being the, the serpent, the devil, right? And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our gods. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. We think of spiritual warfare, probably most of you. You think of the New Testament, you think of Ephesians chapter 6, right? Verse 10 through 18. Paul writing to the the church in Ephesus, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And he goes on to tell about all the armor that we should put on, right? Yeah, that's usually what we think about. But there's angels and there's demons, right? And they are real. Angels are created. They're God's messengers. They're vast in number. They'll never die. They're created, but they're not eternal because they were created, but they'll never die. They're called different things, host of heaven, armies of heaven, cherubim, seraphim living creatures right they all have a they have a heavenly ministry right but they also have an earthly ministry too so hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation luke fifteen ten: just so i tell you there is joy before the angels of god over one sinner who repents they rejoice over the conversion of sinners when people place their faith and trust in Christ, they're innumerable. and At times, they take up the sword. We see this in Scripture. We saw it earlier with the king of Aram. Hezekiah and Judah, they were saved. The wicked king, Sennacherib, from Assyria, surrounded their city, 2 Kings 19.35. And that night, the angel of the Lord went down and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, we don't even have to fight any. We don't have to fight today. God did our fighting for us. The angel of the Lord killed all those enemies of God. In fact, chapter 11, verse 1, speaking about earthly ministries, look what this angel says. Look at verse one of chapter 11 and as for me in the first year of Darius the Mede I stood up to confirm and strengthen him yeah they have a they have heavenly ministries and they have earthly ministries right we also have their counterparts don't we the demons they are many as well they fell with Satan in his rebellion against the Lord and they do the the devil's bidding we see that in in the New Testament don't we a lot people being demon possessed. Mark chapter 9 verse 21 and 22. And Jesus asked a father of a, a boy how long has this been happening? And he says from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire, into water, and to destroy him. But if you can do nothing, have compassion on us and help us. And of course the Jesus he did, didn't he? Yeah. The enemy, he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. I said that so many times to my buddy Dave, our partner overseas. say, man, the enemy's trying to trying to destroy people. He'll do it physically. He'll do it mentally. He'll do it spiritually. He's out to get people and destroy. That's what he does. James Montgomery Boyce, he writes this. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. The devil is not. God can do anything he wishes to do. The devil, like the rest of us, can only do what God permits him to do. This is God's universe, not the devil's. Not even hell is the devil's. Thought about that? Not even hell is the devil's. God has created hell as a place where he will one day confine Satan and all his followers. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, but he's also omnipresent. God is everywhere at once, and Satan is not. And although the devil's influence is extensive, it's most likely that none of us has ever been tipped by the devil. In fact, The Bible tells us of six individuals who were ever tempted by Satan himself. If we had more time, we'd do like Bible trivia, you know, get on sides, you know, guys against girls kind of thing. You remember? Think about it. Eve. Yeah. Job. Jesus. Judas. Peter. And Ananias. But not his wife, Sapphira. Yeah, they were tempted by the devil himself. No doubt there's many others, but these are the only ones that the Bible tells about specifically. Of the demons, John Calvin wrote, We have been forewarned that an enemy restlessly threatens us, an enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon and of skill in the science of warfare. We must therefore bend our every effort to this goal, Let us not be overwhelmed by carelessness or faintheartedness, but with courage rekindled. Let us stand our ground in combat. And Daniel did combat. For three weeks he sought the Lord, fasting, praying, interceding for God's people. We need to do battle as well, don't we? We need to do battle in prayer. My, My grandfather was 93 when he passed away, and his latter years he's kind of disgusted he kind of had a lot of energy he his, his motor read real his it, it idled up really high he was always wanting to do something but he was getting older he's 93 and he barely get around he's like man i ain't worth anything i can't do anything of course i was the last time i saw him i was on the state side of Simon. i was about to go back overseas and i said oh you can do a lot you can pray for me that's what i need you to do i need you to pray let's do battle in prayer we see this snapshot, this picture of the heavenlies. Daniel's seeing the angel right before he's given this vision and able to understand what it means. He sees what's going on in the heavenlies, and there is battle going on. A couple of other things real quickly. I want to point out the third thing I think we see from our text today is just how selfless Daniel was. He had been in mourning for three weeks. And what was he mourning about? You think he was mourning about his old age and couldn't do much and rheumatism flaring up? Those things, I'm sure, were happening as he was aging. We don't see him broken hearted over his own affairs. In fact, the angel in verse 12 tells us that Daniel had been in prayer for his people. And I'm not saying we don't go to the Lord in prayer with our needs. We do with every need and all our struggles and hurts and pains. But here we see Daniel being selfless. The angel had been impeded because of a demon, but he came and let Daniel know what would happen to his people. Daniel is preoccupied not with his own miseries, but with his people's miseries. And I think that's something we can learn from, being selfless and putting others' needs above our own, even in our prayer lives. And lastly, we see that God greatly loved Daniel. Daniel was greatly and dearly loved. We have a lot of joys in life. Like, we, you know, joy today, man. Thinking about the these graduates that are growing up, these three girls, love the Lord. Lord's going to use them. We're excited. We think about that. We, we have a lot of joy, I know, in, in in life. I tell this when I when I counsel people when they're getting married. I mean, there's a lot of joy in knowing that out of all the people in the world, Jenny chose me. And think about your own spouse. Out of all the people they could have married, they chose to commit to you for the rest of their days. And that's a, that gives us joy. Our children, you know, there's a lot of joy in, 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 in raising children, a lot of headaches and pains and aggravations, but there's so much joy in it. Yeah, You don't have kids and regret it, right? You don't have them and regret it, but you don't have kids and regret it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of effort, but, it's man, it's a lot of joy. There's a lot of joy in that, a lot of joy in our spouse, a lot of joy in a lot of things, but, man, there's no greater joy than knowing that the Lord, the creator of the universe, the holy God, dearly loves us, his children. Man, isn't that awesome? Verse 11, verse 19, it says that Daniel was dearly loved by God. And he, he heard him when he prayed. When he started praying, he sent these sent this angel out to Daniel, and that angel was impeded by that demon of Persia. But God had heard his prayers. Psalm 4, verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. You know who else is called dearly loved in the Bible? You remember? John, you got it? Chris? Who's dearly loved, you know? Think about the disciples. Who was the beloved? John. Isn't that, a, isn't that interesting? Yeah, here, Daniel, the Old Testament prophet. He's dearly loved. And you have John, the apostle. He was the beloved disciple. Yeah. What do we do with this text just by way of application? And we're, this is kind of an introduction, and we'll get to the vision next week. What do we, how do we apply the text? We, we learn what's the main point of the text. Hey, God gave Daniel sent an, an angel to help him understand this vision, to give him this vision, understand it. And, and Daniel's given this picture as uh, um, a peek at the, what's going on in the heavenlies. What do we do with this? Well, I think firstly, we need to be God and others focused like Daniel. Daniel was fasting, drawing near to the Lord and he was others focused praying for Judah for those back in Jerusalem that were rebuilding the city i remember it was, it was i can't remember the year but one of the i was youth pastor and we would do a theme a lot of times in the summer and one of our themes for the summer was i'm third right um, we need to be we need to be third right. right put god first in others and in ourselves i think first thing we can do the second is Remember that prayer is the work of the kingdom. Well, I can't really do anything. I guess I'll just pray, right? No, prayer is the work, right? So the means to an end is how God does his work. is through the prayers of his people. Romans fifteen thirty. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Thirdly, I think we have to remember not to be fearful and think about the spiritual battles that go on. We should be confident because the battle is won, right? John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're on the winning team. We're on the winning side. Martin Luther, I will end in this. Martin Luther, he... he uh, he wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress this is Our God. Kind of sums up our confidence we should have in, in Christ. The third verse. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. And Why? His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And one day, with one little word, right, the enemy, our enemy, God's enemy, is going to be cast in the lake of fire that belongs to God where he'll suffer with all those who oppose God and all those demons, all those who live their lives, all those people, right, who live their lives like this to the Lord. That's where they'll be. We can have a lot of confidence because of what Christ has done for us. So let's be prayerful. Let's be third. Don't be fearful, but be confident in, because of what Christ has done for you. Now, you may be here by way of application, and, and you're, um, you're not a, a born-again believer. You don't have any confidence because Christ has yet to do anything for you. Well, my plea for you is that you would turn from living your life opposed to God. You've been living for yourself too long. Repent means turn from living for yourself and trust what Christ did on the cross. Christ died once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. If you don't know the Lord, you need to come to God. By repenting and by trusting in what Christ has done for you. He lived for you the perfect life you could never live. He died the death that you should die. He was buried on the third day he rose so that you could be made right with God if you just place your faith and trust in Christ. Praise him, won't you come on up. Let's, Let's pray and we're going to sing a benediction. If you have any questions about anything we've talked about or if you're like, I'm not sure if I know the Lord or not, but I want to know the Lord, I'd love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, and we come to uh, difficult passages like Daniel chapter 7 through 12, and we want to understand it, so we ask that you would enlighten us, open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things in your word, and we're asking that you would empower us as your church that we would leave here wanting to obey you, wanting to be prayerful people, wanting to be um, trusting of you, not fearful Help us to do that, Father. Help us to put others, help us to put you and others before our own. Help us battle in prayer. (coughs) Father, for those that are here that uh, have yet to repent, I pray that you would do a work in their hearts. Help them to see how good you are. Help them see their own sin and their need for you. And Father, may you grant them faith and repentance. Thank you for what you've done and what you will do in jesus name amen